the glory of his presence. And our text this morning is Isaiah, the sixth chapter, verses one through eight. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, talking about the glory of his presence. And in that passage, we find these words. Uh, This is uh, in Isaiah 6. It says this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet. And with two wings they were flying. He says they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It says that the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I cried, Isaiah says, woe to me, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then a cherubim, I'm sorry, a, 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 what do you call those things? Seraphim, yeah, I get them all mixed up. Then a seraphim flew to me with, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched it to my mouth and said, see, I have touched this to your lips. He said, I I, I fail there. He said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin has been atoned for. And then the last verse, verse 8, Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Man, I love that passage. I love that text of scripture. I want to talk about the presence of God today. And, and looking at the book of Isaiah, we've preached out of Isaiah several times over the last several weeks because um, Isaiah is, is known as the messianic prophet because a lot of his prophecy deals with, with the uh, foretelling of the coming of Messiah. Prophecy is not all foretelling. Prophecy, prophecy includes not only that, but foretelling. Prophecy is not just predicting the future. Sometimes we get in trouble if we think that's all it is. But prophecy also includes speaking forth the word of God in the moment, in, in that given time and place that God would communicate to his people. Isaiah is, is, is a prophet of God. He is, it is believed, some people think that this, in this place in Isaiah 6, that he is here receiving his call, that uh, this should be placed at the beginning of the book of, of the initiation of his call. Others think that this is in the right place, that he was initially called and engaged in the ministry of prophet, but that he had experienced this encounter with God and thereby was being recommissioned and, and recommitted to the work God had called him to. Isaiah is doing his ministry in a very interesting time in Israel. 
It's a time of um, relative prosperity because the king, whose name is mentioned in the beginning of our passage, King Uzziah, he has led well for a number of years, and we'll talk about him more in a minute. But they're doing okay economically. They're challenged politically because of the pressure from the Assyrians. But life is pretty good in Israel overall, despite the fact that there is a considerable amount of injustice that is taking place and, and the rich are taking advantage of the poor. And there is, like in our day today, there is inequity with regard to resources and there is, there, there is injustice being perpetrated. But, but, but in the midst of that as well, there's a religious problem that, that looms large in the whole discussion. And that is that in Israel during this time, and as you read the, read the Old Testament, the historical books, you see this is a recurring theme and problem is that there is this this tendency, though God has brought them out of Egypt, uh, and you remember when he did, when Moses led them out of Egypt, that they got out of Egypt, but all of Egypt was not gotten out of them. Yeah. Uh, and then what happens now, they've crossed over into Canaan, initially under the capable leadership of Joshua, and they've gone in, and the task was to clear out these the people that were there and to clear out the pagan cultures that were there that were so despicable to God and so, 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 so evil and so wicked. And they didn't do a complete job of that either. And so they found themselves in a situation where they're tasked by God with establishing his culture in this land, but that the culture from around them has infiltrated their culture. And so there's this kind of religious syncretism that's going on where there is in the temple of God not only the worship of Yahweh, the worship of the one and only true God, but there is also uh, the inclusion of worship of Baal and the worship of, of various fertility gods and the inclusion of certain fertility cults in, 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 the, in their worship uh, liturgy. And so there's this kind of messed up confused thing religiously that's going on. And you see that over and over again as you read through the historical books of the Old Testament. What you see is that there's this constant struggle to cast down, to, to pull down the high places and to purge and cleanse the house of God. And so Isaiah's in this, in this moment, in this time. And, and, and I don't think that, that it's just a matter of... Uh, a chronological marker, but I think there is other significance to the fact that the text begins with this, in the year that King Uzziah died. Uh, and there's something about the year, there's something about King Uzziah, there's something about this moment. It, it's a particular moment in time where Isaiah encounters God. As a matter of fact, Isaiah needs to encounter God. He needs to hear from God at this time. And, and we, we talk about King Uzziah, and he was, uh, uh, to, for the most part, he was a good king, You've heard the term good cop, bad cop, right? And as you read through the historical books through second, first and second kings and, and chronicles, you, you, you see these, these accounts of the various kings of Judah and Israel and their, their exploits and deeds are, are cataloged. And oftentimes what you'll see, there'll be a, a little commentary at the end that they so-and-so did right in the sight of the Lord and God blessed them. And then some of them are so-and-so did right in the sight of the Lord. And they were overall, they were pretty good, but they failed to do this or that. And then the worst, I think the worst indictment is when God would say, or the writer would say of them that they didn't please, to, please God, but, and they failed to remove the implements of pagan worship, the Asherah poles and all that. They didn't cast down the high places. One of the things they were judged on was their willingness 
to cast down the high places, to clean out the temple of God from those polluting influences that had purged, that had rather, that had, that had infiltrated the temple. Now, Uzziah began his reign at the age of 16 as a co-regent with his father, Amaziah. Uzziah's other name is Azariah. And he led Israel for 52 years. He did a pretty good job. As a matter of fact, he is, he is strongly commended overall. But there's this problem, and, and it affects him as it affects Isaiah, as it, as it affects Israel. And let me just digress for a minute. There's this, this problem of this ever-encroaching idolatry. You know what idolatry is? Okay, if you don't, I'm going to tell you what idolatry is. I, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a few definitions of idolatry to help you understand um, and Jade McMath said this, that for which I would give anything and accept nothing in exchange for. Okay, you get it? He says, that for which I would give anything and that for which I would accept nothing in exchange for is the most important thing in my life and is my God. That's idolatry. Um, Augustine put it like this. Idolatry is when we worship what is to be used and use what is to be worshipped. That's idolatry. Um, Andrew Rudd put it like this. He said, idolatry is finding our security, our safety, and our meaning in something or someone other than God. That's and see, I know you look around you today and you say, you know what, well, we, you know, because in the Old Testament, I, idols were things. And, and in and Isaiah 44, he, he goes in, in depth about this whole thing in, in his prophecy. He says, you know, basically, basically rails upon those who would be foolish enough to think that you make something of your own hands. You fashion something out of wood or stone and, and something that is dumb and, and has no ears and has no mouth and can't speak. And that's your God. And it seems silly to us, doesn't it? It, it's, it seems to be an ancient concept. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody worships funny little statues. Nobody worships false gods anymore. But somebody put it like this. Idolatry now is not so much on the shelf as it is in the self. We have things that on the inside of us we idolize. And there are things that we, that we give our allegiance to. And so it is still an issue for us. But it's a big issue for God's people in the Old Testament. Because his goal is to bring them out of, out of, of that of that warped understanding, this animistic uh, idea that, that these people had when God came to Abraham in, 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 in that region. You know, they, people were all over the place. They were worshiping, you know, wow, it's, it's, we need some rain, so let's find out what the, who the rain god is, and let's worship that. And, and, oh, there's the tree god, and everything's a god, and there's god for this and god for that. There's a million. And then, you know, in certain religions, the gods have all kinds of temperaments and personalities. Some gods are good. Some gods are kind of malevolent. Some gods are evil. And God came and said, listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. I am him. Have no other god before me. There's one. I am it. And that was an ongoing challenge as God works with his people to try to bring them to understand that. And God, and Isaiah is in the midst of this situation where on one hand, Assyria is pressing in on Judah. And on the other hand, uh, the Babylonians will, will come and, and make their dominance known. And ultimately, God will chasten them and cure them of their idolatry once and for all. But at this time, it's still a big concern. And in, on the part of, uh, of, of, of uh, on the part of uh, Uzziah, 
it's, it says in, in, first, in 2 Chronicles 26 that he, you know, he was a pretty good king. He did great things. His fame was known. He was creative and inventive, and he was good for commerce and good for the, for, for the nation. Uh, as far as he was a great diplomat and a great leader and great, for, you know, great politician and all that stuff. And for years and years, he did a good job and led faithfully. He, he was a good king, but then in 26, 16, something happened, and it said this said this of, of him. It says, after Uzziah became powerful. You hear those words? After Uzziah. See, sometimes something happens in us when we have become powerful. You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes when we have succeeded, not all the time, but sometimes when we have succeeded and when we gain power, something happens. It says, after Uzziah, and that word, but, but after, why? Because of all these good things. But after Uzziah had become powerful, he let his pride become his downfall. What did he do? Well, what he did was, it goes on to say, you see, in Israel, there are, there's the delineation of prophet, priest, and king. Those are three distinct offices, and they don't overlap generally. And, and the priestly duties particularly are, are assigned generally to the tribe of Levi, and you don't just make yourself a priest. You didn't just go up in the house of God, think I'm going to offer up. I'm coming on in and I'm going to offer up my own thing today. You didn't do that. Sometimes in church today, we kind of do what we want to do, but in those settings, you didn't do what you want to do. In fact, even the priests that were chosen by God and designated, if things weren't, if, if things weren't right with them, there were, there were remedies. God was very strict about that. And so there's this account of what happens, and it's here in Second, Second Chronicles 26. Uzziah says, I'm, I'm going to go up in the temple. I'm going to burn. I'm going to offer some incense up. And so he's going off in the temple to, to, to burn it. You're not supposed to do that. He's not designated to do that. He's, he's breaking the law of God. Then what happens is as he goes in there, the 80 priests confront him. That's a lot of priests. It's more than y'all here today. And they confront him and say, you can't do this. And he, you know, if, if he was a humble man, he would have said, okay, you guys, hey, hey, I was wrong. You're right. Let me um, put the incense. I'll, maybe that girl on the corner that I bought it from. Well, <laughs> but, you know, okay, I was wrong. Let me, let me, let me step back here. Let me, let me reconsider. But what he did was he withstood them and he was stubborn and he, he railed against them. And there's this conflict. And what happens, and you read it in the text in, in 2 Chronicles 26, in that moment, God struck him with leprosy on his forehead. And what happens then is because he's a leper, first of all, he is forever banished from the temple of God. And he is basically has to, to re relinquish his throne and his son Jotham becomes king in his place. But basically that king that was so stellar in his performance, that king that had so faithfully served God, that had led his people so successfully has failed at this point and left them in a kind of lurch. And the reason I bring this up is because I think that there's something about Isaiah's mindset in this moment that precipitates this encounter with God. Because, because you see, there's this thing about disappointment. And there's this thing about disillusionment. I, I, you know what I'm talking about because we've all been there. And, and, the, and it's, it's said that Isaiah was probably a, a good friend of Uzziah or may have even been a relative, a, a cousin or a nephew. And so Isaiah's prophetic ministry actually um, 
in, in, in covered, it, it was involved over the reign of, of, of three or four different kings, but I, I sense that he had a good relationship with Uzziah that, you know, he was, he was probably rooting for Uzziah. You know, there was no vote back then, but he would have voted for Uzziah. I'm sure that his prophetic ministry under Uzziah, when Uzziah is faithfully following God, was probably not a, 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 a grievous or a difficult thing. And so in this moment, Uzziah has failed and the hearts of those that know him and love him and those who he has led, their hearts have been broken. But not only that, even though his son, Jotham, succeeds him to the throne, you know that this guy, Uzziah was king for 52 years. And now your son, another upstart, you started as a teenager, we had to deal with you and your daddy was with you. Now, it's just not the same anymore. So I suspect that Isaiah is at one of those moments when, you know, kind of when, when the rug is pulled out from under you, you know, when things around you, when you're, you're surrounded by disappointment, when things seem bleak and when you can't figure it out and you thought it was going to go one way and it goes another way and you thought it was going to turn out this way and it turns out some other way. He's at one of these kinds of moments. And, and so in the year King Uzziah died, the significance of that, because I think it says something about Isaiah's mindset and probably the mindset of many of the people in Judah. And so Isaiah has this encounter with God in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So this morning, for a few moments, I want to just consider, I want to talk about the presence of God. Now, when we talk about the presence of God, there are several dimensions to that. In this situation, God comes and reveals himself to Isaiah. Let me tell you something about God. You will not know God unless God reveals himself to you. You don't discover God. God God uncovers you. You don't find God, God finds you. And you don't, you don't encounter God's presence by your initiative in that sense of searching for it, but God comes to you. And, and now to make that, to, to tie that over to the application, I'm going to suggest to you as we go on that there are some things we do to realize and appropriate the gift of God's presence that we have as the people of God through Jesus Christ. But in this moment, this is God's sovereign initiative to say, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to give him a vision. And it's not a dream. It is, it is a vision where he is able to see into the holy place and see the Lord high and exalted and seated on a throne and the train of his robe filling the temple. He's transported, as it were, into the presence of God. I want to suggest three things about the presence of God. And number one is what we'll deal with for the rest of our time this morning. But the first one is this. That God's presence enables us to see God as he is. We'll talk about that. Number two, God's presence enables us to see ourselves as we are. And then thirdly, God's presence enables us to see the world through his eyes. Now, if you want to know about those next two, you got to come back next week. But this week, we'll look at this issue of God enabling Isaiah to see him, to see God as he is. God's presence enables us to see him. As I said a moment ago, you don't discover God. God reveals himself to you. God has revealed himself to us 
through the pages of Scripture. God revealed himself to Israel, first of all, by coming, you know, in a number of ways, and oftentimes by various types of personal appearances, what we call theophanies. And he comes to, to Abraham and strikes a covenant with him. He comes to Moses later on to the burning bush and various other ways. He calls him out. He encounters certain people, and he, he, he reveals himself to them in his plan. He gave the law to Moses. Uh, Mount Sinai, he gave, he gave and he, in that he's revealing his character. And then we in the New Testament consider the Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God to be the final revelation of God to us, Old and New Testaments, and God has revealed himself. He reveals himself on the pages of Scripture. But really, as we talk about it, in the, in the New Testament sense, we, we understand that Jesus Christ is the last word, the ultimate revelation of God the Father to us. And the, word of, the written Word of God conveys to us the story of Jesus along with the story of salvation history. But Jesus himself is the perfect, the perfect revelation of the Father, right? Hebrews says that he is the radiance of God's, of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. So God has revealed himself to us. But in this moment, this is one of those special revelations. And so look at the various things that Isaiah sees here. First of all, he says, I saw the Lord. That right there will get your attention. You saw who? I grew up around some folks that saw, that saw some stuff. Sometimes I, I wondered what, if they had just eaten the wrong kind of pizza the night before. He says, I saw the Lord, but there's some things about the Lord. See, people see God and people talk about God and people think about God, but people got all kinds of opinions about God and all kinds of attitudes about God. And going back to the idolatry piece, what happens is that people are fashioning gods after their own, their own image and their own conception. And then they're sometimes trying to remake the God of, 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 of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we serve, making the God of the scripture. They want to make him over into something else. So we have to, we need to know God for who he is, not what we would wish him to be, not what somebody might have suggested that he is, not what, not what we can, you know, not some, some formed after something that we can create with our own hands. And so the first thing he says is this, I, I, I saw the Lord high and exalted. Now see, let me tell you something. Those who are in Isaiah's day following after idols, first of all, it's really a bum deal to try to syncretize your animistic idolatry, your, the stuff that you're carving in the wood shop, stuff that you're carving out of wood and hewing out of stone. To try to merge that with God. Because the problem with your idols and the problem with any of our idols is that, you know what, our idols are, tend to be like low. You hear what I'm saying? That's why I guess in the Old Testament, they, they did a lot of that stuff in what's called the high places. Because they had to, get, let's get up high. At least we can feel like we're, we're doing something. Because, we, you know, this other stuff is all about down here. It's all about earth. And a lot of the, the religious affectations and stuff that we acquire that aren't about the God of, of, of Scripture, they're, they're kind of about, we, we equate God with this stuff. You know what I'm saying? But he says, if you see God, understand that God is not down where you are. God is high and exalted, high and lifted up. Uh, it suggests to me that God is above all and over all. See, some of us have lost sight of that, and we need a fresh encounter with the presence of God to be reminded that the God we serve is high and lifted up. J.B. Phillips wrote a book years ago. He said, your God is too small. And some of us serve small gods. That's the foolishness of idolatry. 
if you can put God in your back pocket, your God is, is, is inadequate and too small. If you can put God in your glove compartment, if you can keep God in your garage, if you can put God in your, in, 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 in your shed out behind your house, if you, could, if you can contain God, then that's not the God that I serve. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw him high and exalted. And so he's reminding Isaiah in the midst of, of this national time of calamity and confusion, in the midst of all of the pressures around you, in the midst of the, the, the this cataclysmic change that just keeps coming at you, remember this, that I am still God and I am the God that sits high and looks low, high and exalted. I am the God that still holds all power in my hand. I'm the God that created everything that is, and I'm the God that sustains everything that is, and I am still the all-powerful, omnipotent one. And we need to see God as he is. But then there's, he says, not only that, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because some, if some of us were to try to convey something, say, well, I saw God, and he was like really radiant, it was really beautiful, and that's the end of the story. He, but look at this, the, the particularity. He says, I saw I saw the Lord, high, high and exalted, seated on a throne. You know what he's reminding us of? The fact that God is not just all-powerful, high and exalted, but God is the king of glory, the king of of everything. And in this situation, what, what, what Isaiah is looking at is the fact, wow, there's this, there's this monarchy in, 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 in Judah and Israel. And we got these, these kings that come and try, are trying to lead us. And, and we're looking for somebody that can, can lead us into to blessing and prosperity and the realization of God's purposes for us. We're looking for somebody that will have political sense and will have uh, economic savvy. And most of all, have spiritual foundation to be able to to stand and lead this nation of God's people into the life that God has called us to and it just time and time again they fail us time and time again they let us down and so and as you read through the rest of Isaiah you'll get the sense well you know what Isaiah God is speaking to him and 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 showing God's people through him that you know what there's there none of these kings will ever do because God would remind them that you know what I didn't want y'all to have a king I said, I was going to be your king. And you said, we want to have a king because all the other nations have a king. And all the other nations were rife with all kinds of problems and had false gods and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. But you wanted a king. And he said, listen, if you get a king, he's going to take all your money. He's going to conscript your kids to, to, ser- to military service. He's going to basically use you and abuse you and do his thing. You're going to have to support his agenda and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, oh, that sounds good to us. It wasn't God's intent, but so they've had the succession of kings. And, of course, King David was wonderful, but every single one of them, even the the ones that are spoken well of in Scripture, their flaws are very plain and before us to see. Because what we discover as we read through the rest of Isaiah is this. God is trying to say to his people, there will never be anyone who sits on that throne until the one who is the seed of David comes and sits on the throne in heaven as the king of kings and lord of lords. Until that one comes, that, that child that that's, will be given you, that son, that, that child that will be born unto you, that son that will be given until Messiah comes. You know, and we still think that the institutions of this world, we still think that hope and, 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 and God's blessing and his best 
can be affected by some human agency, by some human person by some political party or some, some, some corporation or some, some, some nation or some entity or some, some, some special leader. Let me tell you something. I think that it was clear in Isaiah 6 and I think it was clear all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. I think it's clear in the New Testament age and I think it's clear now, which is the end of the New Testament age, that there will never be anyone that can bring peace and tranquility and absolute total blessing on earth. There is only one and his name is Jesus. There's a throne in heaven and Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and and exalted and he was seated on a throne. You get what I'm saying? It's not that God uses wonderful people in, in, in certain situations to do great things, but basically we have to be careful that we don't place our hope and our trust because I think that maybe, who knows, maybe folks were, 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 thinking, were expecting a little too much from Uzziah. Maybe they were thinking it was going to go on forever. And maybe they were a little too disappointed when he failed because maybe they should have realized, like all the rest of them, he was only human. So he says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. He's the king of glory. John in Revelation 4 had a similar vision. God carries him up into, John is in a similar, in similar straits because you know, he's in exile on the Isle of Patmos. And there's all this static going on in, 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 in with regard to the Roman Empire and the persecution of God's people, of Christians. And there, there's all this stuff. And, and he has this vision as well. And God, see, because you see what happens here is that God has this way of not leaving us empty and not leave, leaving us alone and not neglecting us. But when, when we get to these places where we're at the end of our rope and when we become desperate and when we can't see our way, God has this tendency to come to his people, to come to their aid, to open their eyes and enable them to see him in fresh and new ways. And I want to encourage you today that maybe you're in that kind of space, but oh, just, just, just keep singing what we sang this morning. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. And I, 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 he, he will show up and he will make his, his presence and his person real in your life. But what, what happens here, he goes, he, he you, you know, John, John says the same thing. He says, I, I, you know, I saw, I, I saw a throne. He, you know, it's like the curtains peeled peel back. And he looks into the Holy Holy. He says, I saw a throne and someone sitting on it. And that person was none other than Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So he's still on the throne. And